You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Reconnect with family and friends. Uh, Mark just led us in an exercise where we got a hold of people while we're right here in church, letting people know we love them, we care for them. Make sure we stay connected that way. It's just important. Uh, a couple nights ago, we got on FaceTime uh, with two of our younger grandkids, and Annette read them a bedtime story. I was the guy who turned the pages. She read Cowboy Casey, and that's a, that's a, a story that my kids grew up with, and now Annette was reading it to her grandkids. They all yawned. They didn't want Grandma to go off the phone or offline, but she did, and they went to bed. So find ways to reconnect. The other thing is take time to reset. Uh, that's going to be so important. And what I mean by that is by now some of you are real, realizing what the essentials are necessary to live life. And what are the non-essentials? Well, the, with those non-essentials, just drop them off. Just, just lay them aside. And, and here's a great time to start new habits in your relationship with, with the Lord and community. You can do this, but it's just a time I think God's calling us to reset. So take inventory, evaluate your life, and uh, be aware. Be aware of what's going on around you. So there's one more thing. One more thing I'm praying for for all of you is sometime when we get the end of this shelter in place, my prayer is that you still like each other. Because I, I know that there are a lot of things going on right now where we're shut in with each other. So I'm just praying you, you like each other because we might be here for a while. So make a choice to like each other. So I, I know so much attention right now is on this worldwide pandemic. And what I also know is the details of life continue on. Our kids are still our kids. Our marriages are our marriages. Personal struggles are still personal struggles. So how many have found out that they don't go away? In fact, under the conditions, sometimes what happens is these issues get accentuated. So here's where I'm going with all of this. In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is dealing with a national crisis. In Jerusalem, his people are plagued with sickness, unemployment. They are broken down, oppressed, just trying to survive. And what happens here is Nehemiah comes onto the scene. He's an incredible leader, an incredible motivator, an incredible team builder, and he rallies his people to rebuild the broken down walls of Jerusalem. And I want you to keep in mind the name Nehemiah. What does it mean? The name Nehemiah means a comforter restorer and really is a type of the Holy Spirit. So you can, you can see how the Holy Spirit actually works in our life by following the book of Nehemiah. And it's while Nehemiah is in the middle of, of dealing with this national crisis that he experiences attacks on himself personally. It's in Nehemiah chapter 6, and if you have a Bible and you guys are studying together, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 6 with me, and you see the full-on assault and schemes of the enemy at work against Nehemiah. So what this tells me is the same is true for us. I mean, these things don't go away as time passes. There are still things that we're dealing with. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things will face personal opposition. We are not immune to being impugned. Just remember that. We know that there's an enemy out there. We have to be aware of the enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert. 
Be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is a very real thing. And so what, what it says here, what Peter's telling us is don't let our guard down. Uh, be focused. Stay alert during these times. And so here's the first thing that you need to know about the enemy. I mean, when I'm reading this scripture, <clears throat> reading Nehemiah chapter 6, the first thing that comes to my mind is the enemy is an absolute bully. I mean, that's really what you pick up here. And the strategy of a bully is to shame and to intimidate, to, to shame and to intimidate. You know, I, I learned to be uh, an expert on bullies when I was in junior high school because my physical stature invited bullies into my life. And so there were always bullies to deal with. And fortunately, I had good counsel, a father that helped me, and I had the capacity to deal with bullies. And what we see here is Nehemiah has that same capacity to address the bullies that are in his life. And these are very real things, things that many of you are facing right now. Uh, People who are attacking you personally, people who are saying things about you that are not true. Well, Nehemiah knows how to respond to the schemes of bullies. So here we go. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Here's some bullies. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So here's scheme number one of a bully. It's flattery, believe it or not. And I want to explain that in just a moment. Nehemiah's statement about the doors and the gates had had not been set. It tells us why these enemies were so desperate. These enemies were desperate because Nehemiah is about 98% done with doing what he set out to do with the people of Jerusalem. The walls are almost done And this is a remarkable task that the enemy is making a last attempt, a last-ditch effort to go after Nehemiah. And how does that happen? It happens by going after him personally, and that's what's happening here. So what do they do? Well, they invite Nehemiah to meet them on the plains of Ono. When I was reading this, I thought, heads up, everybody. If someone ever invites you to the plains of Ono, your response should be, oh, no. I'm not going to go there. Just don't go to the plains of Ono. You're going to get in trouble. But they were scheming to do Nehemiah harm, and that harm comes in the form of flattery. And what happens here is Nehemiah refuses to fall into the trap of flattery. He's not going to go there. The approval of others, he's not going to be led down a pathway that is deceptive or a pathway that will harm him. Nehemiah has been dogged. He has been absolutely harassed by the guys here in the story. But finally, they come to him and they say, okay, okay, let's talk now. This is like being invited to a major government summit. What you need to know is these guys are actually part of the world powers that existed at the time in the Persian government. So this is no small offer, no small invite. Nehemiah is being invited. He's being included. They're looking at him. The big players are saying, now, Nehemiah, why don't you come and meet with us on the plains of Ono? 
Now, this is a big deal. Again, these are powerful men. And now what they're doing here is they're reaching out to Nehemiah. Wouldn't it have been easy for Nehemiah just to say, all right, it's about time that you give me a seat at the big boy table. Isn't it about time that I get to really have a voice in matters that go on here as opposed to always being opposed? Nehemiah, I'm sure, uh, could have gone to those places, but, but he doesn't. He doesn't think to himself, sure, I'll, I'll join you and I'll show you what a leader really looks like. You know, today there, there are really all kinds of compromises to be made in order to be accepted. And we see Nehemiah refusing the flattery here to be invited to talk with these government officials. There are all kinds of ways that we compromise our lives just, just so we can be accepted. Uh, it wasn't too long ago I was counseling someone who was getting married. They wanted to get married. Um, <clears throat> I asked this person about their future spouse, and, and uh, they, they, they began to just talk about how kind this person was, how, um, how flattering this person would be. And, and then I asked the question that I always ask, well, does this person know Jesus? Um, and the response was, no, but, but, but they will. They'll know Jesus. Listen, we make a lot of mistakes in life because we want to be accepted. We make a lot of mistakes in life because of flattery. And here, what you see in this first scheme, Nehemiah refuses to go there. And here's the reason I think Nehemiah doesn't fall for the scheme of flattery. It seems pretty obvious when you watch his life, when you read about his life, and it really has everything to do with humility and wisdom. Uh, his heart attitude is humble. His mindset is wise. So how did he stay humble? How did he stay wise? Well, you find the clues all through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, it's repeated over and over again that Nehemiah goes to prayer. That every time he faced something that he knew was above him, that he knew that was bigger than himself, it says, and I prayed to the God of heaven, or I prayed that my hands would be strengthened. Listen, what we need to be able to do is go to Jesus and ask him to strengthen us. Ask him to give us the strength that we especially need today and that he would give us wisdom in walking through the times that are right in front of us. Wisdom to shine the light of Jesus. Wisdom on how to live a life right now where there's a lot of social distancing going on. How do you do this? Well, we know that we can have that same humility, that same wisdom as Nehemiah. James says, when you ask for wisdom, God's not going to turn you away. He's not going to send you out the door. But if you ask, God will give you the wisdom that you need. Uh, I just was remembering this. I think this is the way Nehemiah faced life. Remember this reality. You're, you're never as good as people say you are, and you're really never as bad as people say you are. I remember one of my friends uh, was reading what was put out on a kid's clubhouse a placard, but before you went in, the rules of the clubhouse were just, they were displayed and it said something like this, don't act high, don't act low, just act medium. So when you're in life today and you're, you're dealing with other people and there's flattery and acceptance, and I know how that makes us all feel, I know we feel good about those kinds of things, not all flattery or, or uh, kind words are, are bad. But we want to make sure that we keep ourselves right before the Lord. Make sure that we posture ourselves with humility and wisdom. 
So here is the, um, here's the second scheme of the enemy. It's found in verses 3 and 4. It says, So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. What do they not understand about no? But what did they do? Uh, Come meet with us. No. Come meet with us. No. Come meet with us. No. Come meet with us. And Nehemiah says no. And Nehemiah knows this is a, a waste of time. And he sees right through it. He recognizes that this is a scheme of the enemy. And it has to do with distraction. Scheme number two is just being distracted. And I think oftentimes we find ourselves in places that we're not getting done what I think we should be getting done. Why? Because we're being distracted. And I I looked up what distraction means. A distraction is a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. And I think most of us can really relate to this. There are just a lot of distractions today. I'm a... Honestly, I'm an extremely distractible individual. Uh, I am, and I, I recognized that last week. We have a great team uh, here at our church. We were out in the parking lot. We're just looking around our campus, asking the question, how do we stay mission critical? How do we use the gifts that God has given us here in this place? What do we do? And there was some great wonderful dialogue going on and people were just immersed in this conversation and here I go off I I go hey look at that bird up there in the tree I mean I'll just start talking about birds my wife looks at me like what are you doing well it was a red-tailed hawk and we have a family of them that live right up here above the church so I was just you know I was just chasing birds so I get distracted that way Annette is one of the most focused people on the planet and she married me and that just is that right there is remarkable. Uh, we went through the Dave Ramsey class. I think I've mentioned this before. And one of the exercises you do is you sit down with your spouse and whoever takes care of the checkbook, they go over the whole checkbook with you. And and so Annette takes care of our checkbook. And I sat down with her and she was telling me how to justify the checkbook. And she was going into a lot of detail. Folks, it, it took me like 93 seconds before I was looking out the window at the birds. And Annette looks at me and she says, you're, you're not even paying attention. She goes, what happens? What happens if I die? My immediate response was, well, Sarah, my, my daughter-in-law and Ella, my granddaughter, they'll take care of me. They can do my checkbook. Uh, that wasn't the answer Annette was looking for, but that's how distractible I can be. Uh, do you know where the biggest, I think, distractions come from? They're no, not usually from the outside. Distractions usually aren't external, they're internal. We are our biggest distraction. And I think there's a way that that works in our lives. I I know for me, especially in a crisis, we should think this way. I'm going to tell you the way I think we should be thinking because I can see this in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has taught me so much about leadership. And who would have known six months ago when we chose to study the book of Nehemiah, we'd be right in the middle of this crisis. So God's timing is amazing. But, but here's how Nehemiah deals with his crises and how he thinks, how he keeps from being distracted. First of all, he, he, he stays on point. He stays with the things that are critical to the mission. 
So he's very focused on what's happening there. And then there are things that are important to the mission. And then there are things that are helpful to the mission. And then there are suggestions everyone else has about the mission. Distraction is when we reverse this order. That's when distraction happens in your mind, in your heart. It's when you start listening to what everyone else is doing and you're trying to pull in a lot of other ideas and other ideas are wonderful, but it's not mission critical to you. Uh, you, you start thinking about everything else. Then you go, oh, well, I can do some helpful things. And then you might do some important things. But you stay distracted if you never come to that place and think about and pray about things that are critical to mission. Church, this is the most important thing we probably can be doing right now. Because we have a mission. Go and make disciples who make disciples for Jesus. We want to be critical. We want to be on point and critical to mission. So when you're laser focused on what's mission critical, you'll not waste your time with distractions. Distractions get a lot smaller because you're a lot more focused. Nehemiah was laser focused on what was critical to mission. I love that about his life. And then you go down a little further, if you're still in Nehemiah 6 with me, look at verses 5 through 7. It says, and then the fifth time, I mean, these boys aren't getting it, the fifth time the bullies step up, and Sanballat, he's the head of all the bullies, sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unseen letter, or an open letter, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, in which was written, this is what was written, this is an open letter. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that must make it all better, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building a wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, talking about Nehemiah, and I and have even been appointed or appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. You're not only wanting to be king, you're getting people around you to tell you you're, you're the king. There is a king in Judah is what they would prophesy. Now this report will get back to the king, speaking of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. So come, let us, he's trying again, let us meet together. Here it is. Scheme number three, insults. And I want to talk to you why this is an insult. It says an open or unsealed letter. And what you need to know about that day, those times, is an open or unsealed letter was only meant to insult. It was only meant to humiliate the person that was the target of that letter. This was a way of, of bringing Nehemiah back down. It was a way of insulting him publicly, of, of openly shaming him. An open letter was not the way that government officials communicated back then. If they wanted and respected another official, they would seal that letter with their signia, and it would get to that person, and it would be a privately read letter. Here, we know that this enemy is trying to insult Nehemiah and his leadership by making these lies public. This, this was a, a sign of great disrespect toward Nehemiah. Um, and you want to build your case? What do you do if you're trying to insult somebody, if you're trying to railroad somebody? What do you do? You get a few more people on your bandwagon. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, you got to get a few more people to support what you're saying. So it says here, I just love the line, Geshem says it's true. 
Geshem says it's true, so it must, it must be true. See, what they're doing is they're making up stuff about Nehemiah so they can insult him. And I love Nehemiah's response in Nehemiah 6, 8, and 9. It says this, I sent him this reply. I said, nothing like what you were saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your own head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and and will not be completed. But I prayed, here it is again, now strengthen my hands. What does Nehemiah do here? Nehemiah doesn't go into some detailed defense of himself. I think that's a wise strategy. You can start unpacking everything that you think someone has said about you that's wrong. That's never a wise thing to do. In this case, less is more. And that's exactly how Nehemiah handles the situation. He recognizes that God is the glory and the lifter of his head. He recognizes that. So there's no time wasted about arguing with the enemy here. He responds in a godly way, in a very direct way, just basically calling these guys out and saying it's all a lie. And then what we have here in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 10, the next place you go here is it says, And one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Metabal, who was shut in at his home. We don't know why he was shut in at his home. It said, let us, he, he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and, and let us close the temple doors because men are, are coming to kill you by night. They are coming to kill you. Uh, scheme number four is to recluse. You see, the enemy was wanting Nehemiah to run and hide out. And I think ultimately that's the goal of the enemy. It's to run and lock the doors in fear. We see that after the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus. What did the disciples do? They followed their base instincts. They actually went up and locked the doors for fear of the Jews. They went into recluse mode. And I I think there's oftentimes the enemy wants to bully us and intimidate us so we go hide out. In fact, what Ezra tells us, who's a contemporary of Nehemiah, Ezra tells us that this guy, Shemaiah, claimed to be from a priestly line, but could never actually show the papers that proved he was from a priestly line. So this guy is shady. This guy is one shady religious leader, and he's trying to leverage his religion or his uh, prophecy against Nehemiah. He's, he's pretty shady, so he says to Nehemiah, hey, you, what you need to do is you need to just go hide out. Listen, using religion to hide out, I think this is where a lot of Christians live their life. We, we live our life in, in a house that we built with doctrine and theology, and I think that's all good, but that's where we stay. We never interact with the world. We just stay hidden In our house of religion. And that's really what this guy is trying to get Nehemiah to do. Shemaiah is saying to Nehemiah, you need to just go hide out. What we know Jesus said to us is, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He really did. So while we might be sheltered in place, that doesn't mean that you're shut in place. I want you to keep that in mind. Look for the creative ways that the Holy Spirit is going to have you reach out and encourage others. 
Kind of like what we did today at our greeting time, our virtual greeting time. We reached out. We got a hold of each other. We talked to each other. Keep doing that. Don't recluse. Don't shut yourself in. But be the light of Jesus Christ during this time of crisis. Reclusing in the face of trouble is the last thing a leader should ever do. Nehemiah knew the value of his presence among his people. He knew that if he would have went in and hid, that the people wouldn't have seen him and probably would have been anxious. I'm sure fear would have set in. Nehemiah was the one chosen by God to bring the comfort of God, to to ease anxiety, to bring peace to wherever he went. That should be the portion that is ours as well. That actually should be our testimony, our legacy, that, that when we show up in places, there's just, there's just this peace that Jesus brings to our lives. You see, Nehemiah, his response, and I love his response here in verses 11 through 13, he says, But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I, I will not go. I won't do it. I realized that God had not sent him, Shemaiah, but that he had prophesied against me because, guess what? Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him, had paid him money to do this. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would, they would give me a bad name to discredit me. You see, what they're trying to do is they're trying to trip up Nehemiah. If they can somehow get him to hide away, they can go, the enemies, the bullies can go and say, see, what did he do? He's just running. He's just hiding out. Nehemiah refused to go recluse. He refused it. Wow, this is really important for us. This is important for all of us. How did Nehemiah know that Shemaiah was bringing a false word? How did he know that this wasn't right? Well, the reason he knew this is because, if you remember, he is in an intimate relationship with, with God in heaven. He has an intimate relationship with God. He has a, an intimate and deep relationship with God's word. And so how did today, how do we fend these things off, these lies, these, these false prophecies that, that might even be going around now? Well, it's by becoming intimate with Jesus Christ. It's by becoming knowledgeable and let the word of God penetrate our hearts and our minds. That's how this happens. He knew how to critique and evaluate this prophecy. And we're going to want to grow more in these areas. He knew exactly how to do this. Listen, I can say this, that God never comes and brings a word that intimidates or brings fear to you. That's not God's nature. Now, I've been around for a long time, and I've had a lot of different prophecies spoken over my life. Most of them I've really appreciated, and they've been very beneficial and encouraging. But there have been a few that have been said to me like Shemaiah. They came and you know, prophesied my, my death or my downfall or those kinds of things. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. You've got to be able to see through that. You can't go recluse when those things happen. You can't run and hide. You need to be able to stand up, take a stand in the name of Jesus. And it always happens in God's truth. Get to know him. Get to understand his word even more. God does not leverage us with fear and death. That's clearly a tactic of the enemy. 
Now, listen to Nehemiah's testimony. Here's his testimony about all of this. Uh, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nodiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So Shemaiah wasn't the only prophet trying to intimidate. So the wall was complete. Here it is. The wall was complete on the 25th of Yule. That's the summer. Remember, he goes the year before, he goes to Artaxerxes to talk to him. Not even a year has gone by. And the vision that God had given him for the people of Jerusalem and for his people is now becoming complete. And so the wall was completed then. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done again with the help of our God. After this, the bullying didn't actually stop because you'll read a little more about them trying to intimidate Nehemiah, but it was all but dead. They were taking their last gasp at trying to get Nehemiah to succumb, to give in. Listen, if, if a bully's intimidation doesn't work, he's got nothing. And that's the way the enemy wants to work against us. That we refuse to be intimidated. We refuse to cave in to the lies of the enemy. And I want you to remember that today. Remember that we have a strong tower. Remember that we are called to be more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Remember that you stand on a solid rock that will not be moved. Remember the enemy is out there. He's prowling around. He's roaming to see what he and who he can devour. But we stand in Jesus' name. And today we do that. And this is what I'd like you to do right now where you are at home, in your living rooms, maybe you're in your, 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 your car. I don't, I don't know where you might be. But if you wouldn't mind just bowing your head for just a moment, I want to take time, just a personal time with you in your house right now, that you would just bow your heads and take a moment of, of, just, of silence, of quiet, um, and think about your relationship with Jesus Christ right now. I said earlier that the way we fight off the schemes of the enemy, the way we see through things that are lies in this world, is by drawing closer to Jesus and understanding his word. Uh, the Bible says, your word, God, if I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is so critical today. So I want to do this. I want to ask anyone that's listening to this message, if you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to know him today. I'm imagining that you might be with some people that know you and know Jesus. That's a great combination. And they can be the ones, if you talk to them, they can be the ones that share faith in Jesus Christ with you. We know the Bible says that whoever will come, let them come. If I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation is mine. So today I just want to encourage you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can absolutely save us, especially in the days and times that we live. Father, we just thank you for your good work in our life. We just ask that you would continue to teach us through, through your word. And today, especially what you've taught us in the book of Nehemiah, so amazingly beneficial for the days that we live in. 
Father, keep us. And for those that are making decisions to follow Jesus Christ today, Lord, I just thank you. Uh, I just want to just applaud uh, their faith in following you. And maybe someday if we haven't met, we will get to meet, and that will be just a great joy of mine to meet those that have come to faith in Jesus Christ in these last few months. Father, we want to thank you. You're so gracious to us. We just give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a- thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.